The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarin.com slash rain. Want to make a podcast? Let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters, and it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. You're listening to the Afterburn Podcast, episode number 26. Altitude. Altitude. Tower 26 is released to you, runway 4 left, wind 040 at 5, clear for takeoff. Sea tide, Altitude 0 we're clear for takeoff, clear for the airspace. Viper check 2, yeah and when the funny thing is i got like hung up on this like guard tower it was funny because when you looked at the aerial photos I, like uh, I knew where I was exiting the airplane. I was exiting the airplane kind of quite early. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be anywhere near that. That's going to be later on. And, and and somehow, you know, the, the, the chalk got released late. And so I landed like on this guard tower. My, you know, my parachute was, you know, kind of hung up on this 50 caliber. I was like hanging a few feet off the ground. I, you know, undid my parachute and I like got to the ground. And I was like, oh, that was pretty easy. That's the voice of my guest today, J.B. Spizo. He retired out of the Army after 26 years as a Sergeant Major, the highest enlisted rank you can reach in the Army. He has a tremendous amount of leadership experience. This episode, we don't talk a whole lot about aviation, but in that clip, you can hear there was a plane involved because he jumped out of a plane. I don't know why you do that still to this day, but people do it, and he was jumping into Panama during that conflict. Definitely an interesting story. He shares a few more in this episode, as well as a lot of leadership techniques. He has a book out, which is Warrior Leadership, Steps for Success for Leaders on the Ground. If you're interested, you can find that in the show notes. I have the afterburnpodcast.com link down there. And on the homepage, you can see a little bit more about JB, as well as some of his hero shots, but he's got a link to his book if you want to check that out. Also want to give a shout out to all of you who have taken the time to go over and leave a rating review on iTunes. The rating part's pretty easy. There's one to five stars. All you got to do is just click one of them. Obviously, I'm more grateful for the five-star review versus the one star, but I'll take what I can get. And then if you've spent a few extra seconds and left even a one-word comment about the podcast, all of that helps Apple realize that people are interested in this content and might show it to more to help the podcast grow. So for those of you that have taking the time to go over there and do that. I am truly grateful. And if you haven't, if you consider doing it, I would appreciate it. Also like to announce uh, this Wednesday, that's March 3rd. We got the first Q and a session, live Q and a session over on Patreon for all the Patreon supporters. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can swing over to the afterburnpodcast.com and find your way over to Patreon. Or if you need a more direct route, which I get, you can go to patreon.com backslash the afterburn podcast. And again, look to join and support the show if you're interested. If not, I get it. 
go over to iTunes, leave a rating at least. And finally, I want to mention joining forces with BVR Productions. And this is the genesis of Jello over the Fighter Pilot Podcast, which I got to give a shout out to and say thanks. He was one of the first individuals that reached out to me when I mentioned I was going to do a podcast and offer his support. Truly genuine, and he has helped me along the way, which is awesome, especially when some might view this as competition, which it's not. We view the rising tides lift all ships. Uh, Jello has bringing together several military podcasts in no particular order, the Low Level Hell podcast, Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer podcast, Harry, Air Combat Sim, and obviously the Fighter Pilot podcast. It's exciting to link up with these other podcasts. Again, the goal here is mutual support, help one another out. And I think it's going to allow us to bring better and more content to all those who love military-type related podcasts. So you can swing over to the afterburnpodcast.com, the flight bag section. You can find each one of those podcasts in there, as well as some additional ones that I like to listen to. With that being said, let's get into the episode with JB. Awesome. Well, JB, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Excited to have you on here. Before we get rolling into it, will you kind of just give everyone like a 30-second elevator pitch of who you are, where you are today, and how you got there? Sure. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. My name is JB Spiso. I'm a retired Army Sergeant Major. So for those that don't know what that is, it's the highest and most respected uh, non-commissioned officer rank in the military. Uh, the Sergeant Major is normally like the right arm of the commander. Um you know, we like to say the person that kind of kicks ass and takes names a little bit, but um, but helps the organization on health, welfare, morale, discipline, and training. Um, I retired. I spent 26 years in the military, 10 years in special operations in the uh, esteemed 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, also was a, a drill instructor, officer candidate school instructor, cadre at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Uh, so I've had a very fortunate career be about be around some of the best and the brightest. Uh, men and women this country has to offer. Um, in uh, 2005, I embarked on a uh, part-time gig of becoming a uh, professional uh, leadership coach. In 2010, I've done it full-time. That's all I've done since. Uh, and so my company, JBS uh, Leadership Consultants, um, what we do is we we help uh, entrepreneurs, business people, athletes, um, with refining what they need to what they need to do to get to the next level, especially on leadership, culture, team chemistry. Uh, I live in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I'm the author of the book Warrior Leadership: Steps to Success for Leaders on the Ground. Uh, easy read, two hour read that you can tab and find some great leadership life lessons. And uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We'll throw all that stuff too up on the Afterburn uh, or afterburnpodcast.com so you can find that as well as in the awesome. show notes. So quite an esteemed career. We're going to talk about the leadership piece at the end. You kind of took a, I wouldn't say a 90 left, but a, a hard left into a different career than being in the military, doing the leadership piece, going into business. But I want to know where did it all begin? How did you get into the Army? Well, here, you know, 18-year-old kid from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, grew up in a great middle-class family, wonderful uh, mom and dad. And, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to go to college, wasn't quite ready, wanted to pay for my own college. So there I am. And uh, I, I said, let's, let's go to the Army recruiter to get the college fund. And, um, <laughs> you know, back in those days, there was no internet. So you just trusted this you know, grizzly old tanker, uh, th this recruiter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, you know, why don't you be an army ranger? Great. What do they do? Jump out of airplanes, blow stuff up. I was like, sign me up. 
Um, I, you know, I thought I'd be in the army for four years, get the college fund, go out, uh, you know, go back to Pittsburgh, go to college there, uh, and be a high school teacher, coach hockey, baseball. It was kind of my thought process. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in the army. Um, here's a kid from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I show up at Fort Benning, Georgia on the 8th of August, 1984. I never felt heat and humidity like that. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And, um, and it, and it just kind of started and went from there. Um, and I went to airborne school and then I went to the Ranger indoctrination program and somehow made that. And next thing you know, I'm in second Ranger battalion and, um, Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, I think it's now called joint base McCord or something like that. And ha had no idea what I, <laughs> what I was getting into. Uh, and my, um, I believe it was probably my ninth or 10th jump, parachute jump, you know, jumping out of airplanes. Um, uh, I jumped into Somalia, uh, Bally Dougal DZ Somalia. I, okay. I had no idea where Somalia was. We're going to the Horn of Africa. Great. Where's that? And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, so the adventure, uh, had begun. And so that was it. And uh, fortunate to have great leaders. I talk about it in my book a little bit. Uh, my squad leader, Hugh Roberts, kind of took me under his wing and helped mold me and create me. And the great thing he knows about the military is, you know, you can find good leaders in all ranks. And, um, you know, that was where I started building this like leadership and teamwork and motivation. And, and you know, I had some of that obviously from my upbringing, from a very positive and healthy childhood. So. Um, you know, I turned, I turned it into a 26 year military career. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, not everyone does that. And then, you know, there's pieces of, you know, leadership. I always say, yeah, obviously you want to follow like the good leaders. I think I learned the most from the bad leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's usually pretty painful because you're working sure. under them every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's one of those things you take the bad, you file it away and say, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to be like that person. Um, so I definitely have a filing cabinet of bad leaders. And I have a filing cabinet of, of good leadership traits that hopefully I can embody there. Yeah. I never liked the negative leaders and those people, they try to impact me negatively, steal my joy. And sometimes they do, they break you down. And, you know, maybe these kids were, you know, maybe these, maybe they were abandoned as children. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, I never did. I never did well on that negative leadership. Unfortunately, uh, many of the leaders I had were very, very positive. And, uh, and you could still be tough. Like, I mean, I was a drill instructor. I was tough. Uh, but you know, I don't think I was a dick. Uh, and, and I think I encouraged people positively, but Hey, listen, uh, you know, I also woke, woke troops up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning and put them on the PT track for a, a, a little extra fitness. Those days happen. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, I say it a lot, and this is a business that I do now, you know, your talent does not go higher if you smash it from the top. You have to, you have to lift that talent, right? Now you have to be direct sometimes, and you have to obviously, if, you know, somebody's going to do something that's going to injure themselves and self and others, you have to put a stop to it, but you have to lift that talent. You have to, you have to teach, coach, and mentor that individual. What's your advice to someone who is dealing with a leader that they don't get along with or that's tough to work for, you know, and I know, there, it, I know probably it depends. That's a standard fighter pilot answer is it depends because yeah. it depends on the scenario, mm -hmm. but what is, what would you say? Well, <laughs> you know, it's like when I talk to professional athletes and, and they don't like their coach and I was like, well, the sooner you get used to your coach, 
and your coach's standards, the better off you're going to be. Now, again, you don't have to particularly like that, right? It shouldn't be any, any negative abuse, but there are leaders that just are just cut from a different cloth. And, um, you know, you have to, uh, spray yourself with some Teflon. You have to rise to their standards and, you know, you have to learn a little bit of the go along, get along, right? Until, but, but use that, put that in your kit bag for later and saying, you know what? That's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be like that. And, and the biggest thing I want young leaders to know is, you know, be authentic at what they are. I'm a cheerleader. It works for me. Uh, but it might, but it might not work for you, but find what works for you and be authentic because as you know, uh, being a military officer, um, if you're not authentic, people see right through it. Absolutely. I think too, like, you know, for me, I I found, I had a, a squadron commander who was just, uh, he was, he was really difficult to work for. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably one of my biggest lessons learned is figuring out a way I've, you know, what, what made him tick and what made, you know, what set him off, what was important to him. And really we all had the same objective but it was just a slightly different view of what winning looked like. It was figuring out what he defined as winning, especially along the path to get to the end of the objective. But um, that's one of those things. Yeah. You and you got good bosses. You got bad bosses. I try to learn from each one of them. That's for sure. And this is where like the senior chief comes in, right. In your line of work, right. They come in and be able to grab the officer and say, sir, ma'am, you know, close the door and have an honest conversation. Right. And I think, um, you know, that's where, you know, the military's done a lot of great things by having this senior non-commissioned officer at the highest level where they can close the door at the commander and saying, hey, sir, you know, I know you want the troops to wear Speedos and the flip-flops, but that's the dumbest uniform I've ever heard in my life, yeah. <laughs> right? So, and, 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 and to come across that way, so. And especially in the fighter pilot world, it's very rare that you as a young pilot have anyone who is underneath you that you're leading. Because it's a very technical oriented job. So the, your job is to be the technical expert at flying jets. And it's not until you become like an 03, 04, that maybe you get one or two people up underneath you. And most likely they're your peers. You know, I was an 04, 03 as a demo team commander. And that's the first time I had real interaction with our maintainers. So I had nine maintainers, nine enlisted, one, you know, senior NCO as an advisor. So it's a really weird dichotomy and difference, especially compared to the army, right? Cause a mm-hmm. Oh one walking into the infantry on day one is going to have how many people underneath him? Well, if he has a, f- a 40 person platoon, he's going to have a platoon sergeant, you know, who's been in the army at least 10 years. He's going to have four squad leaders, uh, staff sergeants that have been in the army at least six years. And he's going to have, you know, uh, you know, six to, uh, 12, um, uh, team leaders that have been in the army, th- you know, three to four years, right? So you have this, this leadership group that can help that young officer, you know, on, on the path. Sure. That young officer has to take all the responsibility and has to make the decisions, but you have that leadership group there that helps it with that. What is like the biggest piece of advice you'd have for like a young, you know, Lieutenant and really applicable across the board, a person who is inexperienced that is now put into a leadership role or a role if they're coming in business that maybe they're not the technical expertise in that department. And now they're thrown in like department head. What yeah. advice do you have for them? John, wonderful question. I used to use this at West Point all the time. And I do this with young executives. First off, you don't have to go in and make it like, my name is Lieutenant J.B. Spizo. I am the new platoon leader. I am here to change what we like. No, 
All you have to do, it's as simple as this. If you're walking into a business or you're taking over a new organization, the platoon in the, in the military, a group like that, all you have to do is say, hey, I'm JB Spiso. I'm damn glad to be here. That's it. They already know that you're in charge. If you have a rank or some type of, you know, vice president of something or a rank, lieutenant, captain, major, they already know that. Uh, and it, whether it's the worst organization or the best organization, that's all you say. Say your name, say your first name and your last name, you know, not your rank, you know. For, Hi, I'm JB Spiso. I'm damn glad to be here. I look forward to getting, getting to know all of you and how I can help all of us be successful. That's it. That's all you have to say. Inclusive, no I, we, how I can help us be successful. That's it. Simple as that. The funny example I have with that is, you know, the fighter pilot world is heavy on call signs. So it sure. is not uncommon that you don't know someone's first name and you're like best friends. That's a little extreme. But uh, even when you're in a formation with an 06, an 05, you know, the rank comes off in the brief and the debrief because everyone has a job to do. So that's kind of unique in the rank structure. And one of the things I always, I don't know what it is, but emails. When I would get emails from 06s, it's funny to watch the ones that just sign it by their call sign and the ones that use their rank in it. And while there are formalities, and we got the tongue and quill and does all this kind of stuff. For me, uh, the ones who signed it by their call sign, it was like this, I don't know, this subliminal respect I had for them because I know they're the boss, right? They don't have to say they're the boss. And it's like, if you can walk into somewhere and you don't have to say you're in charge, I think you're winning. Usually. hundred percent, hundred percent. Sign of that hammer, stingray, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be like, or, you know, it's what you do is you, you, you have to continue to show this human side. Now, as you climb, like we know in any organization, military or civilian, as you climb, uh, you know, you start to become a little bit on an island, right? And, and, it, and it happens that way. But you still have to continue to be friendly with people. You don't necessarily have to be friends, but you have to be friendly. Um, you know, uh, a good friend of mine who's a GM of a professional sports team, you know, he tells me all the time the way he interacts with players is friendly, but not friends, right? Which is, which is great because, you know, he might have to trade somebody. So I, I never forgot that. I said, uh-huh. And so he comes and he's very friendly, but not friends. So um, that's where you kind of have to learn to be. And as you start to grow, you know, that, you know, becomes a little bit uh, smaller at the, at, at the top. But as the more influence you get, that's when you can flip that pyramid around, like we talk about in the military, servant leadership. And now you can help, you can really start serving others. The higher you go, the more you can serve. Because you have the power to, to say, hey, you know what? Let's give Lisa this project. Let's give uh, David this project. You know, let's give this team an ex uh, a, a, a chance to uh, sell this deal, right? And that's what you could do as leaders. And then all of a sudden, people are like, whoa. And so that's the, that's the empowerment that you can give as you climb. But I feel like there has been a culture shift, especially in the Air Force, Particularly, I've had several really good bosses right as I was getting out of active duty. Uh, phenomenal leaders. You could tell they were there to make it better for everyone else. And that was not always the case. I referenced the squadron commander who I learned more like of what I'm not to do. You know, his view or my view of him was it was purely there to, to progress in rank and serve himself. And it's the ones that are willing to fall in a spear. And in particular, uh, General O'Malley, who's a former Shaw wing commander, he's now a wing commander in Afghanistan. 
he fell on multiple swords for his team, whether they knew it or not, at the risk of getting promoted. And when you saw that, you're like, he's got my back, I got his back. And that's, that's the way to do it. Well, that's the way to do it. And sometimes people get so caught up in their, in their, in their, um, their bubble, all right? And so that's authority bubble. Um, so in Afghanistan, 2008, I was a sergeant major. I was an E9, but we had a camp sergeant major. And um, it was funny. I would, you know, when we were together, I would call him by his first name. And he would be like, stop calling me by my first name. I'm the commander. And I was like, okay, we're the same rank. Now, in front of soldiers, I will call you Sergeant Major, but I'm not calling you Sergeant Major to your face, right? <laughs> and uh, and I remember there was, um, you know, there was kind of a uh, big incident. Um, uh, uh, a bunch of the, a, a group of, of, of French um, soldiers lost their life in an attack, and then they had um, uh, some special forces, U.S. special forces, and some... Uh, Romanian special forces come in and kind of take care of the bad guys. And anyway, they ended up at our camp and they were having a meal and this guy like lost it because, you know, of course they had beards and dogs and guns. And he was like, you got to get them out of the chow hall. And I'm like, I'm not getting them out of the chow hall. Are you kidding me? They just, you know, they just went and, and hit a target, you know, help, helped us out. Like you go tell them. And of course he didn't, he went back to his office, but you know, it was funny when you look at things like that, like this, this is where you can, you can look at where you've gotten and, and you can overblow it. You can let that ego go to your head instead of saying, you know, I was thanking them, <laughs> you know, for helping. What do you guys need? What do you, tell us what you need. Like, great job. Uh, and he was, you know, he didn't want their military working dog in the mess hall. Like I could care less. They were, you know, they were out all night doing a mission. That's what we have to be careful of, of not letting, you know, either where we've where we were educated or what we've done or where we came from to you know affect who we are i mean i say this a lot of times to especially like up-and-coming executives that have maybe had a very positive route to get where they are okay uh maybe came from a fluent family went to some great schools like, I like and it's positive, almost like positive route. That, i like that positive route well i just <laughs> it, you, you know it, it's like this um you know, <laughs> uh, don't dust yourself off on third base like you slid in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, you started on third base. You started on third. So don't be like, oh, like you're like dusting yourself off. No, 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 no. Right. So now you got to get yourself home. This is on you to do. But understand that, you know, you, you've been given you've been given a benefit to start ahead of the head of the curve. So do more with it. We kind of jumped into the leadership piece. I want to backtrack all the way to becoming a ranger. If you could walk me through it. So you initially went into the ranger regiment. Am I saying that correctly? Correctly. And then into selection. What is that path? Is it normally, I mean, you serve as a ranger and then you go to selection? Well, I mean, uh, back then they have it again now. You have a ranger contract. So you basically sign up to they give you a shot going to the rangers right like you either make it or you don't so you go through infantry school 13 weeks then you go through airborne school three weeks or whatever it is now and then you go to what's called now rasp ranger assessment selection process back when i went through it was called rip ranger indoctrination program and basically the course i started 300 guys started the senior nco came out and said i don't care if any of you make it 
I believed him. He was just like that. And it, and it started. And, uh, you know, four weeks later, I made it through RIP. I earned my beret. Back then it was the black beret. Now it's, of course, khaki, but that's when only the Rangers wore black. And then you get assigned to your platoon, uh, your squad platoon and company in the Ranger Regiment. Um, so uh, then I was there for about 10 months, kind of worked my way up the order of merit list. And then they sent me to Ranger School which is in Fort Benning, Georgia. Now the school is just a, is just the tab, right? The Ranger tab, which a lot of officers go to a lot of people not assigned to the regiment can go to, but people in the regiment can go as a private. I was a private when I went. So I went to this Ranger school, another 72 week course where, uh, combat patrolling, sleep deprivation, food deprivation. Somehow I made it through that. And then you go, then you go back to your unit. And then from there, then you can, then you can work your way up the leadership ladder. Uh, cause in the Ranger regiment, you cannot have a leadership position without a Ranger tab. So that's part of the requirements there. And then I spent, uh, I went, uh, E1 to E6 there. Uh, so I spent about, uh, six, six years there. And then I went to be a drill instructor, got promoted to E7. And then I went back to the Ranger regiment as a platoon sergeant. Uh, so now I was working with a first lieutenant, um, you know, running a platoon, uh, some great warriors there. And then, uh, you know, got to go, go to West Point to work, OCS and on and on. Gotcha. You said it was what, about 10 months into your uh, timeline as being a ranger that you're jumping into Somalia? Or- uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I was still a private. I jumped into Somalia. Uh, for some reason, I remember the drop zone name. It was, it was Bali, Dougal, DZ, Somalia. And I remember it is because we jumped in actually with like a Somali military officer that had been to like our, cause he had, you know, the, the guy looked like he was 12 years old and he had Colonel rank. He had Colonel rank, but he had a, he had a special forces and a ranger tab. So he went to our course. Yeah. And he, like, it looked like he was like 12 years old. And we jumped into Somalia. We did this mission. We actually, true story. This is obviously before Black Hawk Down, before the, that fight. You know, this is, you know, 1986, maybe 80, 85, 86. We actually road marched through downtown Mogadishu. Road marched. That's wild. So a company of army rangers road marching through camouflage face, full gear, Road marching through downtown Mogadishu, I was like, I have no idea where I am. I remember my sergeant, I remember my sergeant, Andy Zibis is his name. He ended up being a great special operations guy, went to work for the government at some other levels. I remember and he, he's from Boston, Massachusetts. He was like, speeds out. Whatever way I shoot, shoot in the same direction. I was like, yes, sergeant. Like, what? <laughs> where are we? Where are we? Um, and uh, I remember that we, we jumped in with a foreign officer. So, you know, when you do that, you can do a wing exchange, right? So we can get, you know, he can get our wings and he, and we can get uh, his wings. And we were so excited about it because he was actually, he went to Russian airborne school. So he had Russian jump wings. No kidding. So, so, so we're like, yeah, we're going to get Russian jump wings. And of course it was like 1986. And you know what the general did there? He's like <laughs> disapproved. <laughs> He's like, you're not wearing Russian jump wings. We were so excited. You know, uh, it was great. But, uh, yeah, so we never, we, we never got our, uh, 
Soviet jump wings. Were you just, I guess that's purely just a show of force or peacekeeping yeah. mission? Yeah, so it's, it's, that's, I'm sure that's what it was back then. You know, uh, we were in Egypt. Our whole battalion, our whole battalion was in Egypt doing that bright star exercise. And then our company got pulled to go do that. So of course something was up, probably a show of force, you know, type, type thing. Um, I always loved those show of force things because what they would do is, you know, they would take, you know, 150 Rangers, but they put us on like 15 aircraft. So we'd have like, you know, 10, 10 guys, we'd be sprawled out on the aircraft. It was the best. <laughs> Grew up in Atlanta. That's where I live now. But a uh, family friend, he was a uh, 06 down in the regiment. Uh, he actually, he lost his life in a helicopter crash. But I remember going down and, uh, you know, as a kid and it was a jump and there, you know, everyone was just piling out. And as everyone hit the ground, like that's when you just started seeing the ambulances just starting to like <laughs> going through the field and just picking up, you know, bodies uh, with broken legs and all sorts of stuff. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. They made it, I, I you know, they made it, uh, I haven't experienced these new parachutes, but I hear they're, I hear they're much better, but I also was a free fall guy too. So obviously those square parachutes were much better than the round, but yeah, we used to jump the old, uh, you know, the old T10 and dash one Bravo. And, uh, you know, I know we talked about Panama a little bit. So there was a staff sergeant in the Ranger regiment in, uh, 1989, we go to, Panama and uh we jumped out at 465 feet AGL 465 I mean so, that's like opening shock yeah an opening shock and next thing you know the ground the you know, ground was coming up and and uh I remember like just seeing like tracers go both ways and I was like okay it's not a training exercise <laughs> here we go giddy up yeah Panama so yeah three years after Mogadishu now you're jumping into Panama, Panama for Operation yeah. Just Cause Sure. That's something uh, to me is fascinating. We don't really talk about it anymore. It's kind of, no. uh, it's gotten lost, but gosh, now like 30 years ago. Sure. Um, so yeah, can yeah. you talk to me the lead up to just cause and what you guys were doing? Well, it's funny because, you know, another dictator that we trained, Manuel Noriega, who went to school, the Americas at Fort Benning, Georgia. So close. You know, we, almost and, got, we almost got that one, right? Right. Well, you know, what happens is, is these, you know, we train these guys, we put them in power and then all of a sudden they get too big, <laughs> they get too big. And he, you know, and he, he, he thumbed his nose at, uh, uh, Bush senior. Um, they had that, uh, I think a Marine officer was killed a couple of days before and he was like, that's it. So, and next thing you know, you know, we're, 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 we're jumping, jumping into Panama and I jumped into, uh, Rio Hato, which was a military airstrip. And, uh, yeah, it was on. Where did you deploy out of? Did you deploy out of the United States or were you guys forward deployed? Yeah, for, yeah, I know. We, we flew from Fort Benning, Georgia, but in a C-130, and we took the long route all the way around because we wanted to fly around Cuba. So am I saying that? Am I doing that right? You're, you're better. At, uh, I, I, I mean, all of it sounds yeah. terrible to me. Yeah, you yeah. said C-130 so, from America. Yeah. That so we terrible. actually we actually rigged. So the plane was so tight, we had to rig up on the ground. So we flew in our parachute and harness and everything for nine hours. And so you imagine like, you know, trying to go to the bathroom and it was, it was, and we were sandwiched in, it was miserable. So that, yeah. Yeah. That absolutely sounds miserable. How much gear, I mean, your gear, I mean, you probably had 150 pounds, hundred. Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably. I think I weighed in. I remember we weighed ourselves with the parachute and everything else. We were probably at like 120 pounds. Sure. So, I mean, my, I mean, my ruck was packed with water and ammo, basically very, very little comfort items. And when you guys were jumping in there, what was what a normal release altitude would be a happy, comfortable medium for you guys? A uh, thousand feet to 1200 feet is, is happy, you know, 800s kind of, you know, for tactical jumps. And then, 
you know, we were, we were under 500 feet coming in hot. So was that the plan yeah. or did you guys even know that? Well, we knew the plan, you know, we knew the plan was going to be below 800 feet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wasn't sure what that adjust, you know, adjustment was. And, and, and truthfully, by that time, after sitting in the airplane for so long, we were glad to get out. Like oh, so. tra tracers are welcome at this point. Yeah. Right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get, let's, let's get out of here. So yeah. And jumping in there, obviously the mission I would assume is airfield seizure. That's kind of the bread and butter air, of the yep. Rangers. Air, 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 airfield seizure. We, I established a rally point. Uh, and then from there, because I was on team black, which had the regimental commander and the regimental deputy commander. And so, um, you know, we established that. And, uh, from there, you know, the, uh, Colonel was kind of running the battle. We spent like three days there. And then we, then we went back to the U S airfield there, which I, I think maybe was uh, Howard, yeah, uh, Howard air, air force, force Base. Howard, maybe. Okay. Air, yeah. So we got, you know, we got back there, refit and that was about it. So, and then the seventh ID, remember the old seventh infantry yeah, division yeah. from California, they came in to relieve us. So. Yeah. To me, yeah. I, I find that stuff very fascinating. And there's obviously a lot of details that go into where you're just like, ah, yeah, we jumped in the field. No big deal. I mean, getting shot at and took the field. And I always like the Grenada story of, you know, so chaotic and them actually calling back on a payphone to the Pentagon. Yeah. You know, I mean, th like those are the times and where we're just not connected in the problems that were presented that you had to be creative and thinking outside the box. So I'm sure, sure I'm sure those, you know, those scenarios undoubtedly existed inside Panama. Yeah. And what the funny thing is, is I got like hung up on this like guard tower. It was funny because when we looked at the aerial photos, I like uh, I knew where I was exiting the airplane. I was exiting the airplane kind of quite early. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be anywhere near that. That's going to be later on. And 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 somehow, you know, the, the, the chalk got released late. And so I landed like on this guard tower. My, you know, my parachute was, you know, kind of hung up on this 50 caliber. I was like hanging a few feet off the ground. I, you know, undid my parachute and I like got to the ground. And I was like, Oh, that was pretty easy. And then like bullets are flying. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I get down, I finally get my weapon, put it in action. And I know I have to get to the uh, assembly area because I'm responsible for, uh, for establishing it. And sure enough, I put on my rucksack, the strap breaks, right? <laughs> so, you know, so I fixed that. And then, you know, I got my night vision, and everything else. I take about five steps, bang, I fall right into uh, uh barbed wire, you know, so I put, so now like my head's spinning, like, oh my God, I'm going to be, and, and so, you know, I had to fight my way across the airfield. I found a couple of the Rangers. I set them, uh, it, it was great because, um, I knew the regimental plan. So I met up with these Rangers from our sister battalion and they were like, oh, and this kid, I'm like, okay, you're here, you're here. So I was like directing traffic. It was, you know, I, I remember that was kind of quite awesome. And then uh, I finally made it to the assembly area thinking I'm going to be the last person there. And I was the second one there. So that was good. <laughs> so I set up the assembly area and it was all good to go. So how long did it take you guys to take the airfield? Uh, well, the airfield was secure. I mean, they were, they were, they were landing uh, C-130s to unload helos and some other things uh, like H plus two hours. So, you know, it was, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. next thing you know, they were, they were, they were rolling these little birds off, putting them together and, and, you know, little birds are out, out flying. So was there, I mean, a bunch of resistance or it sounds like it was more or less sporadic. Well, I mean, cause there was like, there was like groups of barracks and we kind of hit them pretty hard. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, so then you just had sporadic resistance, a couple VR one fifties driving around shooting at people. He kind of had to take those up. And then, uh, once the little birds got going, forget it, it was over. They were. 
Yeah, they were they were they were they were crushing folks. So it's you know a whole other world, or at least I'm used to seeing it from a lot higher up, you know, via targeting pod. So and that was the that was the first time I had some real interaction with the Air Force PJs, right? Because they were doing a lot of our medical treatment. We had guys wounded, and you know, uh, you know, now the Ranger medics are at like another level. Like our Ranger, our Ranger medics are um you know, back to Doc Donovan and that whole group that got them there. They are like field surgeons now, but back then they were still kind of up and coming and, you know, the PJs kind of set the standard. And, um, that was my first interaction with the PJs. They were awesome. Uh, I remember, you know, we had a, they, they needed a hard site to establish a casualty collection point. You know, we found one, we cleared this building. I think it was like, um, some classroom and the PJs took it right over. And, uh, that was great. And that's the first time, like I, you know, I, I knew what, what a, what a PJ was and what they did, but you know, now you're interacting with them. You, you, you know, you, you bond this friendship. And then I went to halo school and halo jump master and you see a lot of those guys again. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you find this bond of, uh, of humans from different services. And, you know, when you're all in the fight together, you're all wearing the same color. So. Yeah, no doubt. And I go back to that. It, it translates across all platforms, all weapon systems, all services and goes, and I imagine businesses is knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, right? Cause yeah. not one, not one person, not one entity, not one plane yeah. can answer and solve all the problems. It's all about teamwork. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you guys, obviously I'd say wrap up Panama, but uh, the next, you know, few years of your career, you also run into uh, Haiti as well. That's another thing that pops up. On, yeah, so I map. was back in the Ranger Regiment, went to be a drill instructor, and then went back to the Ranger Regiment. And there, the whole, um, well, we had the Somalia mission and the Haiti mission. Now, the, the thing about the Somalia mission was is that um, originally, Bravo Company 1st Ranger Battalion was tagged to go do that mission. And then at like the 11th hour, they switched it to our sister battalion, Bravo Company 3rd Ranger Battalion. And so it was, we were actually at the same airfield at the same time. And we saw, we saw, you know, our sister company come and we're like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, we're going to small. You're like, no, we're going to small. You're like, no, we're going to small. Yeah. And it, it kind of this like, you know, fun shouting match back and forth. And they, and they went, we didn't go. Um, and then of course, you know, they, they, you know, they, they were heroes. They, they, they fought so hard there, that whole group and um, uh, both the aviation and the, and the medical and the, and the Rangers. So everybody knows that story. And then uh, the whole Haiti thing started. And, um, so now we're now, you know, you got a battalion of army Rangers, first Ranger battalion, plus another company on the USS America. So they take off the entire fighter wing and they land all, um, task force 160 helos. So you got, you know, Chinooks and little birds and daps and Blackhawks and everything else on this carrier. And now you put, <laughs> now you put all these, you know, Rangers and army guys on a Navy carrier. Well, you know how that went, right? Like, just destroyed it. I imagine. Well, I mean, you know, then somebody had a bright idea of like, Let, let's have army Navy boxing. Okay. Well, you know how that turned out. So, um, you know, so the, those things were a thing, but, uh, uh, that was another mission we, you know, we, we, you know, we were training for and, and right at the, you know, 11th hour, you know, that got cut because of some political things, but, um, you know, so when you train for these things and you're in it and you're like ready to go and, uh, you know, you, you, you do all the practice flights and, you know, you're basically, you know, a mile from the target. Like you're on this aircraft carrier. They see you, you see them and you're flying these practice flights and you're like, yep, that's my target. And, um, 
So these are all these, you know, experiences that, uh, that, you know, that you learn to grow with and just being around such, you know, great human beings, um, was, uh, you know, these are opportunities that I tell people when they're going through these experiences to experience them, right? Even if you're an athlete and you're going through it, whether you're playing in college or the minor leagues, or the pro, like, like, like welcome this experience because those are things you look back to and, and, and help, help mold you and tailor your life. So I imagine looking back on the experience, if you were, if you put yourself in that scenario, cause I know I've been in spots where you're like, this sucks. Right. Especially, you know, if it's combat, like I want to go fight, I want to go do this. Right. I want to do what I trained for. And now I can't, if you're sitting off the coast of Haiti waiting to go, you've been sharpening your teeth and now you're just like, let's go do it. Let's get this on. Let's go do this. I imagine most people are frustrated and annoyed and bored and, you know, just agitated, but like looking back on it, obviously there's a lot of good experiences in there, but it's, it's managing that and, and honing the skills and being ready to go. Sure. And that's that whole part of the boredom of war, right? And, and that's that part that, you know, you train and you practice and, and you're like, okay, and you're mentally ready and you're just, you know, just, you know, you're waiting, you're waiting for game time and you know, you have to be sharp and adaptable and that whole boredom of war, you know, that, that whole USS America experience was supposed to last about five or six days and we're supposed to go crush these guys. So now we're on there for 44 days. Right. And, and, you know, now it becomes this boredom of staying sharp, staying ready, staying sharp, staying ready. Okay. We, you know, we, you know, we, we're, we're going at zero five, zero five comes. Okay. We're not going delay 24 hours. Okay. Going at zero five. Right. So it's all that trying to put that in, in it, in it, you know, it wears on you, of course, but you learn that as your experience. And, um, you know, you, uh, you know, there's a part in my book that I talk about, you know, our radio operator, our RTO, you know, the, the young man that's working the radio force, very smart kid. I ripped him up and down one day for something he didn't deserve. Why? Because my frustrations were building. The men's frustrations were building. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, positively handle that. And what I did is I ripped this kid up and down. And, and, and for 20 years, I felt bad about it. And finally, I got to speak to him 20 years later and apologize. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you think about those, right? And that's where you really have to as a leader. You know, if, if, if you feel that volcano coming, you know, you got to walk away. Go get a cup of coffee. Go ride the bike at the gym, whatever the case may be. You got to separate yourself from that because, you know, people want a leader that makes sound and timely and calm decisions, right? Calm decisions. Well, you're in the fighter pilot world. All your decisions have to be calm because, you know, you got guys on the ground that are, you know, taking fire and they need you and they're trying to like tell you like, you know, and, and you're trying to like, listen, and, you know, you hear it in his, hear it in their voice, right? You hear the panic and they're, they're trying to get you lined up and, and you have to just keep that all together. And, um, you know, that's, that's a part of leadership that we still learn and we still have to experience and we have to practice. Yeah, no doubt. And it's funny you mentioned that. So my one story ties back into this, uh, really good dude, a good friend of mine. This is 2011 Afghanistan. Everyone was tired and stressed out. And I remember he and I got into a little bit of an argument. Um, and he was more upset than I was. I just kind of chaffed it off and went about my daily business. Fast forward you know, almost, almost 10 years later, nine years later, uh, I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him since. And now we're flying together in another world doing different things. Uh, and the one thing he, he stopped, we're doing a pre-flight. He's like, Hey man, 
I'm still, I still feel bad about that one time I got mad at you in Afghanistan because he lost his cool. He's like, I was just tired, and I was like, yeah, I was like, it's like, dude, I didn't, I, I didn't think about it, but it, it does show that you know, and it drives home like your actions, like they can, they can last forever. You know, he waited ten years almost. It bugged yeah. him ten years, and probably every time he thought about me or you know my name popped up, he thought about that one time. You know, and that was the first time he got to apologize for it. Again, yeah. great dude, and it was like. Everyone gets tired and frustrated in those scenarios, especially. Sure. And, 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 and you have to understand, no matter who you are, it's, it's never too late to do the right thing, right? I was 20 years later. It's never too late to do the right thing. And it's, and, and it's funny because when I talked to this young man about it, like he, he, didn't even, he didn't even really remember it, right? He was like, yeah, whatever. You know, he kind of fluffed it off because, but, but it, it had bothered me. So, you know, you can always, you can always make amends. You know, we're learning, we're growing. Um, you know, we're not, we're not a perfect human being. That's why we learn and grow. Cause we're, you know, we have human feelings and human nature. So. Well, it could be, he could be like a guy like Billy Madison, right. Who just struck, struck you off the list after you apologize, right. you know? So. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, exactly. That's a good one. The um, other piece I want to kind of talk about is, you know, special operations or special forces rather. Cause I'm going to mess these terms up, but within the 75th Ranger Regiment, can you talk to me about the 75th Regiment, uh, Ranger Regiment, what that is like? How do you get to that point? And what is a day in the life of, you know, a Ranger in that regiment look like? Yeah, so the Ranger Regiment would be considered special operations, right? Because when you say special forces, then that's, that's, that's the Green Beret. So the Ranger Regiment um, is, a, um, uh, is, is a collective arsenal of uh, uh, young men and now some women that that can that can strike and hit a target, right? They they carry a lot of firepower. Um, you can get in the, you can get into special operations at a young age, and and they're and they're the tip of the spear. Uh, so they do a lot of direct action, um, raids, ambush, recon, that sort of thing. And uh, you know that single day, like every single day in the, in the Ranger Regiment, even when I was a sergeant and staff sergeant and sergeant first class, and I've already been to combat and had all the badges and tabs and everything else, like it's a day, like it's a competition day every single day. Every single day, you want you want to show your best. You know, it's it's you know, you know, it's like you, it's it's being a professional athlete. Just the tools of the trade are different. You know, a hockey player might use a hockey stick, football player a football. Uh, here we're using a M4 carbine, right? So it's it, it's a day of you know up early, uh, home late, uh, focused training. Um, you know your 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 body gets beat, and you're trying to um, you know you're trying to you're trying to be Captain America is really what you are. That's the best that's the best way. You, you know you're, you're you're trying to be a human Captain America, and. Um, you know, you want to do that with loyalty and integrity and you want to be able to help others. You want to make sound and timely decisions, you know, because it's not just it's 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 not just fighting the enemy because that's easy. But it's all the other stuff that you have to do right. The nation building. And, you know, you can't go and 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 do a great mission one day and then screw up the next day where, you know, civilians get hurt or anything else like you're done. So you really have to put that all all into focus. And it's uh, um it's, it's, it's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting, but it's, it's a time that I wouldn't trade for anything in my life. Pre nine 11, it was raid ambush recon. And then kind of airfield seizures came, 
right? So that was kind of another part that they're like, okay, let's do that too as well. So raid ambush recon, uh, almost that um, uh, post-Vietnam uh, style of ranger patrolling, right? So you can send a small force out there, you can attack a larger force, you can disrupt them, that sort of thing, right? Um, uh, and, you know, the term ranger comes from the uh, colonial days uh, when, uh, you know, they were told, go range the woods, go range the woods. And they learned a lot of their their their, their skill set from the Native Americans, right? So they had a lot of this, um, you know, how to use cover, <laughs> right? And uh, concealment and stealth. And if you look at, you know, the old school, that's kind of how it was. And of course, then, you know, it, it, it started ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. This is a new war. And of course, 9-11, you know, things changed. They went the, uh, you know, we were wearing body armor before that, but now the body armor more slimmer and a different kit. And much more adaptive, shape changed the shooting a bit. Um, actually, they changed the shooting a lot. And so, what they did is they 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 they, they, they took the ranger and they ramped the ranger up to what I call like a uh, almost like a mini Delta Force commando, <laughs> right? They ramped them up, and then they took the Delta Force guys and then they made them even more precise, right? So that's kind of the 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 aspect there. And so from you know. Basically, 9-11 till today, that Ranger Regiment is gone. You know, they have a 4th Battalion now. They have a 4th Company. They got a special troop, that special troops battalion. You know, they have dogs. They, they Their just skill set is off the charts. Like, it's almost, you know, for some of the old guys like me, it's almost unrecognizable. It's like, wow. You just sit back and go, holy cow. Um, and, and, and though that was coming, you know, after 9-11, it came quick. Right. Well, as we kind of like wrap up here, um, I always like to ask my guests, you know, if you found 15 year old, 16 year old JB walking on the streets, is there any advice you would give to him? Any recommendations or changes? Oh, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great question. I would say JB, you're on a path, stay on it, stay focused, stay motivated, enjoy it while you're there. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. It's all, it's all going to come. And if you, you know, if you get a chance to, you know, take a risk, do it. And, uh, you know, trusting yourself and your abilities. And that's the thing we do is sometimes we doubt ourselves so much because we compare ourselves to others or this sort of thing. But, but, but just trust where you're going and keep the fact that you're, you're a great human being. And I think that's what, you know, why people gravitate towards me because they see it, they feel it. You know, you want to be honest. You want to, you want to be forthright and be there to help others. Oh, I love it. Well, I really appreciate your service to the country. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Again, uh, links in the show notes to your book, as well as it's going to be up on the afterburnpodcast.com. Highly encourage everyone to go out there and uh, check that out. Uh, thanks for having me, John. You know, and that's, uh, you know, can't control time and there's never enough. All we can do is keep moving forward. Shaq. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, a reminder, March 3rd, that's tomorrow, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, the first live question and answer session for Patreon supporters. Again, that's exclusive for Patreons. You can find your way there via the afterburnpodcast.com to make your way to Patreon. That's probably the easiest way. For all those who left ratings and reviews, I appreciate it, and I'll see you next time. The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarren.com slash rain.